This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Caldwell. I am joined by Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. Hello to you both. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) Thomas. Hello to you both. You're confusing the listeners. They don't. They won't know who anyone is. <laughs> because we're so clear as a rule in the previous shows. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, a brilliant start. A good time actually yeah. to um, just once again thank everybody who subscribed to the station throughout the 2017 RRR Radiothon campaign. And specifically everybody who, who rang to Plato's Cave uh, on our Radiothon show and then, you know, and during the month afterwards as well. And everybody who pledged to uh, Plato's Cave in particular. You know, it doesn't matter who you pledge to as long as you're subscribing to the station. But at the same time, it means an awful lot to us when you do pledge yeah, specifically to Come us. On. It does yeah. matter a little bit. And, you know, last year we kind of plateaued. We, we remained steady in terms of the number of subscribers we picked up. And I've just picked up the results from this year. And we've had a very lovely increase of subscribers specifically Ooh. to Plato's Cave this year. So that actually makes me feel really good. Thank you, everybody. I quickly did the maths. I think it's roughly a 13% increase. Wow. There you go. <laughs> so, Thanks to my family. <laughs> <laughs> so we should have got Emma on board earlier because she's got a huge family. No, no, it, it, it means an awful lot to us, actually, because, we, you know, we, we, you don't, we don't get ratings. We don't get listener no. numbers. We, 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 people very kindly often stop us and say nice things to us in the street. Is there anyone out um, there? Hello. Well, hello. <laughs> but this is an indication that we are building an audience and it means an awful lot to us. So, again, thank you to everybody who's subscribed to Triple R and specifically to Plato's Cave. Now, on tonight's show, we're going to take a look at Tom of Finland. This is a biopic about uh, a post-World War II homoerotic artist known as Tom of Finland, whose works had an enormous influence on uh, gay subculture last century. We're also going to take a look at yet another adaptation of a Stephen King novel. In this case, it will be Gerard's Game. It was recently released on Netflix. But first... Blue is the debut feature documentary by Australian filmmaker Karina Holden, who also has a background as a scientist in making natural history films for television. Blue is about the ocean, but more specifically the way our oceans are suffering as a result of industrialised fishing, illegal fishing and plastic waste finding its way into the sea. It's both a scientific essay and a piece of investigative journalism. Blue profiles various people from around the world whose activities in campaigning and conservation have led them to arrive at a number of sobering conclusions about the state of our oceans and the broader effect this will have on the entire planet and our way of life. Mm. Emma, you've actually met with Karina Horden and, and done a, a moderated a, a, an in conversation, a Q&A yeah. with her. Yeah, yeah, I did. Her and um, uh, Dr. Jennifer Lavers, who was uh, a shearwater seabird expert in uh, in the film. Oh, the um, one who features in the film? You yes, met her? yes. Both oh, wow. Both of them did, wow, the, cool. yeah, did the Q&A and um, it was a particularly lovely Q&A to do as well. Very passionate as this uh, this film is 
is, although um, as a documentary, I found that Blue has a very cinematic quality that's uh, not so much about uh, spouting facts and figures back to back, firing them out at the audience, more about immersing, literally immersing the audience in this experience of Blue and um, sort of bearing witness to things with these um, these subject matter experts who are also bearing witness. But um, I, I, I like the way that this film didn't... Um didn't uh, didn't berate the people that can we say are doing the wrong thing or in terms of the environment are seen as doing the wrong thing. It actually took more of an observational stance and looked at how we can possibly uh, work at this issue in different ways, small in- incremental ways. And it actually ends in a bit of a, a call to arms on how we can do that. It did a lot of things I wasn't expecting it to do. Mm. Um, first of all, I was anticipating a more kind of traditional, isn't the ocean extraordinary kind of wildlife <laughs> doco thing, which is lovely. But this film really is, and you find this out very, very quickly, its aim is actually, you know, to show you, yes, this is a beautiful part of the planet which is barely explored compared to, you know, land and even space, but um, this is the barbarity that we're doing to it. And it is quite unflinching with what it shows you mm. in a way that I found really effective and, and never uh, exploitive. I mean, there's confronting imagery, but it, 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 it's timed and it's placed in a way to have, to make an important statement, I feel, without feeling like it's trying to make you as the audience suffer. It's, it's, yeah. Some of it's very con- confronting and, and, up, and upsetting, but it, it's, it's not nasty shock tactics. Yep. The other really interesting mm. thing I found about this is it's very unemotive, all the interviews with the various experts who are talking about what's happening. That I'm, I'm assuming that was a very deliberate decision because you could have had these people yelling in anger or, or crying in, in misery and, and they tell it to you in a very straightforward manner. Um, mm. it, it, taking an emotion out of their delivery kind of meant that I felt my emotional engagement was almost even the more authentic mm. because I wasn't being wasn't being swayed. That's how I felt that they, they, they were quite observational. Yeah. You know, like they were kind of almost like they were wandering through tableaus at times. And as you said, it was there's obviously distinct personalities there, but the delivery of their information and their narrative was um, uh, there was a homogeny across it. There was everyone had a similar approach. Um, but I do think that it's kind of the type of docu- documentary that plays out best on the big screen. Like sometimes, oh, sure, yeah. arguably, you could say yeah. some documentaries you don't need to see on the big screen, but mm. definitely this one is one that pops. I mean, we, we were very kindly mm. supplied with screeners for this by by the um, the publicist, but yeah. I actually did manage to get along to a cinema to see it. Right. And I'm really, really glad right. I did. Yeah, so did I. Oh, and, great, we uh, all yeah, did then. I did. Yeah. yeah, I saw it in the cinema. And uh, I found it a really harrowing experience, in fact. I mean, there's... Um, I can't think of a, a, an image I've assimilated uh, It's had quite the same effect on me as in this film when... Um, uh, the seabird expert so used mm. the birds. Yeah, yeah. When when you see a shearwater chick having its stomach pumped and producing uh, a colourful array of little plastic baubles and bits of uh, smushed whoever, you know, God knows what they once were. Just those ob- bottle tops, yeah, pen and, lids. Yeah, just, and this is on a remote island, yeah. so far removed from wherever those things were produced, uh, let alone where they were then shipped to, and somebody used them for as little time as they did before just throwing them out, presumably carelessly. Mm. Um, 
uh, yeah, and they're, they're really very powerful images here. You don't need people to get too emotional in their um, vocal delivery in, in a film like this. Those images uh, do a lot of that work mm. for you. And you're seeing images of glorious ocean fouled by um, humankind and the things, um, the, the, the practices it perpetrates often against the law. But international law is very hard, I suppose, to um, administer in international waters. Mm. Um, and, and they did the, bring it down to economy mm, as well. And people have really just did. kind of subsistence living. Well, basically. I really felt for these people in, in, say, the Philippines where we see villages and there must be hundreds of them where traditional life, these people have lived for generations off the seas plenty, but this, there's not that much plenty left mm. because of industrialised fishing practices. And you see these tiny little boats and it cuts away to out at sea an enormous, I guess it's the, the cruise liner of the, the industrial fishing world just harvesting um, oh, just extraordinarily vast amounts of fish in one fell swoop, only probably to uh, reject an awful lot of them because they're juveniles, which will never in turn get a chance to breed, in which case less and less fish mm. can be made in order to be uh, poorly fished again. Did, you, did just... you find the imagery of the people um, actually swimming in those nets oh, quite astounding? Yeah, like I did. Was, was... Oh, they're that big. Like It was <laughs> like an ecosystem within those nets. Well, I think yeah. one of the facts they gave you is those deep, deep sea trawlers as big industrialised boats kind of scoop up the amount of marine life um, that an average fishing village in the Philippines or Indonesia, which Could the two focuses do in a year, mm. yeah. I, I, at first, I was I, I was worried that we were focusing on this, you know, this this coastal Indonesian fishing village and then the similar kind of deal with the Philippines. And I thought, mm. well, really, we're going to pick on these people? But I think the film very quickly makes it clear that they're very much victims of this system uh, as well, and they're resorting to illegal fishing because they can't get fish legally like they used to because of this industrialized mm. process, and these these villages which are kind of desperately trying to hang on to some kind of trade by fishing illegally are ultimately going to... Sh they're going to burn themselves out because mm, there's going to mm, be nothing mm. left. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of awful seeing these very young fish getting getting harvested like they are in this film, but they also make the point that possibly in a few years this all the people in this village will be out of work. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I tell you what, I always knew that shark fin soup was something you should never, ever order. I just knew it was inherently quite... An, an, you know, mm. that the trade of shark fins was quite evil. This mm. film shows you quite clearly exactly how that works. So disheartening that the, the people that were, fishing, yeah. that were fishing for shark fin actually don't like the taste of shark. So just, They get rid of the rest yeah. of the... the rest of the animal that that's, was, that's, the, was so shocking that was the yeah. awful thing you know if this you know these beautiful beasts are at least being consumed in their entirety and you know supporting a, a whole community um, but alas no well they made the point that a lot of it is used for animal feed but then we just get that, that, that but animal well, the, feed the, anything can be animal feed the first really shocking image mm. of this film was a beautiful deep water shot with just the bodies of mm. sharks mm. with the fins hacked off just yeah. floating down it was mm. Mm. It, yeah, it was like something from a horror film. Well, no, not a horror film. It was just it was really, really tragic. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very distressing. I mean, I came out of the cinema just feeling pretty hollowed out, really. Yeah, and and I mean, I don't know if the films. I, I expect the film is trying to. Um, inspire some degree of hope that we can turn things around but I have to actually confess that's not how I felt when I came out of the cinema I thought we're fucked <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, I, I, the whole food chain is at stake. You know, it's, um, I did appreciate... Uh, yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> I, I appreciated the attempt at the end, though, just to say... Just to, re- just to reinforce all the small things individuals can do because it's so easy, I yeah. think, to get a bit slack. Like... You know, if you're going to eat tuna, get stuff that is proven to be sustainably sourced. Yeah. Um, don't take plastic bags from supermarkets. I still can't mm. believe that's a thing. Mm. Like, on, um, yeah, well, I think recycled there, stuff that is coming up. Yeah, yeah, but stuff we all yeah. really know about. But I've been guilty of you just get a bit slack, and you think, well, as an individual, what, what does well, it matter if I just well, throw um, this in the regular bin this time? Actually, uh, Jennifer Lavers had some great points in the Q and A. She yep. said that it's not so much about don't be overwhelmed by this just take on one thing develop a habit out of it and then move on to something else develop a habit out of that and then it just has this cumulative effect like she said for example i've just found these um uh, completely biodegradable uh wooden i think they were fluorescent highlighting pens and you know i'm only going to use them now and just this idea of slowly introducing things into your life rather than going oh my god and throwing up your hands and you know going i have to completely change my lifestyle and that will never happen and that's a really important message because I think things like these people get overwhelmed with the all or nothing. And look, there, there are some douchey activists out there who do get all high and mighty if you're not doing absolutely everything like they are. Mm. But um, but I think if you can change one thing and stick to that for a few yep. weeks or months or years, that makes a difference and that can accumulate. You don't have to be Captain Planet overnight. I do have to say um, that uh, I love the way this very gently sort of wove into this film um, Valerie Taylor, who's a legend of sharks, Ron and Valerie Taylor, most people will probably know from their work on Jaws. Um, Valerie is now in her late 80s and she sashays out in a animal print <laughs> scuba yeah. diving outfit. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, if I could look, yeah, a fraction that good when I'm that age. She she's amazing. remarkable. When they said she was 80, I was like, no. Oh, she's, she's just incredible, still so passionate, yeah. despite the fact that she's seen, you know, the oceans are half of what she saw when she first started um, uh, diving and being interested in sharks. And, and Karina actually paired her up with that um, the, the younger activist called Sh- who's self-proclaimed shark girl um, and she said she was actually nervous bringing those two together because they're both very strong-minded women but she said they just connected so incredibly well and even bringing that footage there's some footage in the documentary from um the 60s of valerie taylor um diving and she she is actually feeding fish underwater from a a pink handbag that's right (laughs) (laughs) actually that that element of the film i did find quite inspiring the scenes where we see groups of people working together yeah like i mean the 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 sequence where 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 the guys up in northern australia on the beaches are pulling up the nets. I mean, it's distressing because they're, they're, they're digging up nets that have that have trapped and killed, you know, giant turtles. Yeah. But um, just something about those guys just silently getting on with that job yeah. and helping each other out, I found that was powerful. The same with the people who looked after the seabirds. I mean, even though it was so distressing what was happening to these birds, it was yeah. the, the sense that people were coming together to try to make this right. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing very admirable things. I just... Uh, mm. And yeah, certainly when I came out of the cinema, I did feel a bit despondent, but I did also then go to the supermarket and 
pretty well just any time I considered buying something. I was just so I had every message from that film just jogging around my brain that I am feeling quite frazzled. I, I, I step by step bought eight <laughs> less than I would yes. ordinarily, have. <laughs> and B, I was just that bit more painstaking in selecting the foodstuffs I would digest and have uh, wrapping and packaging to dispose of. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I just also hope with a film like this it doesn't do what I suspect many of these wind up doing, which is largely preaching to the choir. I was going to ask, yeah. how do you get people to see this? How I mean, do? even people listening to us talk about it now might be thinking, this sounds a bit too heavy. Why do I want to see there this as my film actually, of choice? There was a, a, a boy, an eight-year-old boy, who asked a question in, in the Q&A, and I think he was was the, the great hope that came from um, this Q&A discussion because he said, um, he got up and asked, well, what can I do now to make like my school know and my teachers know? And she said, tell them about it and we'll do screening. We can screen at your school. We can do this. We can bring in programs. And the Blue, Blue documentary, if you look them up online, they actually do have a lot of resources on the website. So it doesn't end at the film. You can actually go and look online and look up things to do. But I think as you were saying, saying in that preaching to the converted it is still a beautiful cinematic film it still has its loveliness about it i can it's kind of like a dance i can't explain it it's the way um especially with uh, jennifer lavers she has this very ethereal gentle quality about her that comes out in this interplay with the birds the way she strokes them and i, I think you probably will remember one shot where she's sort of um crouched down on her you know her hands like cupping her chin and this this gorgeous little sheer bird mm. um, chick sort of waddling out in front of her and it's it's really beautiful so you know it's the human puppet. subjects in this film are yeah. great yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've picked really charismatic uh, inspiring people mm. so mm. yeah I, 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 would, I would urge people to check this out you know it needs to bear witness you need to be informed yeah, about this information yeah mm. it's always good to have this information for the next time you've got you know that drunk art that drunk uncle and Christmas is coming up <laughs> who, who get ready who people thinks, you know, who, Get armed. who thinks throwing a beer can in, in the, the ocean is no big deal. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Arm yourself with this film. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully you, you will find stuff in it that's inspiring as, as well as confronting. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. Tom of Finland is a Finnish biopic about Tuku Laksonen also known as Tom of Finland, who was a Finnish soldier. Can I say Finnish or Finland again? He was a Finnish soldier in World War II who, after the war, while living in Helsinki, became a prolific underground artist who specialised in homoerotic drawings. The very muscular and masculine men who appeared in his drawings often clad in leather, became hugely influential on late 20th century gay culture. The film depicts Tuku's struggles while living in Finland, where homosexuality was illegal, uh, his early attempts to get his work noticed, and his later success once his work found its way over to the US. Sarix, uh, mm. I know you were the one who I think was most keen on us looking at this film. Yeah. Covering I... this film. What, what, what did you make of Tom of Finland? I was really interested uh, throughout. It's something I, 
one you next to nothing about. Yeah, yeah. well, I was familiar with his artwork for some, well, going back about 20 years or so, but mm. I first encountered it not in a sort of a queer um, space, but actually just in with zines, with punk rock zines locally produced. And I remember seeing some of his artwork on the cover of a zine and thinking, wow, that's kind <laughs> of a, a potent thing just to put on the cover of some gr- a zine about grubby, grungy rock bands in the 90s. But then I started seeing it el- elsewhere, and I, I remember finding a, a Tarshan uh, branded hardback thing and think, mm-hmm. my God, is this what they call fine art? Mm. Has this somehow been elevated into that lofty realm? And um, and by in degree, like, um, over time, I just saw the artwork more and more broadly about the place. And then with the advent of the internet, of course, just everywhere. But I also got really interested in that. I could then trace its influence on all manner of um, popular culture phenomena. And the first time I really remember coming across Leatherman imagery, which Tom of Finland seems to be so influential in having generated and, and, and spawned a subculture, really, was bizarrely enough in um, those police academy films. Of course. Where the- invariably, for a, a, a cheap laugh, uh, various of the, the um, characters would wind up in the Blue Oyster Bar. The Blue Oyster, Oyster Bar. Bar. Oh, yeah. Every single film, Every single, that yeah. was a gag, wasn't that it? That was a gag. That's erased village people. Well, yeah, but and there was a Leatherman. Yeah, Leatherman. Yeah, but that was people. one Leatherman. The man, but the Blue Oyster Bar was had lots, yeah, yeah. lots. <laughs> and then along came pop phenomena like Frankie Goes to Hollywood and those video clips. I was too young when they came out at first, but then the imagery now is yep. glaringly obvious it's, where yeah. it came from. George Michael played with it and some yeah. of his clips, yeah. And then yeah. most interesting of all, and utterly unironically, uh, heavy metal bands took on this sort of imagery, the leather studded thing. But then it came, you know, the key progenitor of that look within that world, Rob Halford came out, the yeah. Judas Priest in the late 90s. So I found all of that really interesting. So I was really looking forward to a biopic that might tease some of that out. Of course, it didn't go as far into that sort of period. It just was much more about his formative years in the military, a traumatic episode whilst serving um, uh, circa World War II and and just a, a repressive environment in Finland where it's completely dashed ideas. I had that Scandinavia had somehow always been a progressive part I of the know, world. that surprised me as well, mm. whereas the US was... Yeah, it was the progressive yeah, side yeah, of the world. Almost actually comically so that yeah. California was this uh, haven for free loving across um, you know, without any fear of homosexuality being a persecutable offence. <laughs> when, when cops turn up and then there's a mistake and uh, a bit of a mistake about why they're there and then they pose for a photo for Tom, <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually quite comical. But the rest of the film's pretty doer, actually. Yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Darkly lit, um, grim, and and just about um, it was a familiar sort of story: a queer coming of age attached to an artist coming of age, and mm. um, and and generally being just one big struggle with occasional bouts of violence, threatened and actual, and fear, fearful yeah. uh, times. It was interesting because it did play on that sort of heightened sense of masculinity right throughout it. Like it started with, you know, the warfare was, I mean, you know, can't think of anything more masculine than the battlefield really and the way that it's presented in movies and so forth. And and I'm not sure of how grounded in fact this is, but um, he did even kill someone hand-to-hand combat. There was someone that he killed. So it, it presented a lot of the, the, a lot of the, the start of the film and I guess we could argue that continued throughout is his 
post-traumatic stress that yeah. was that he was he was dealing with. There's a sequence very early yeah. in the film at the start where you see various men having sex at a sort of forest beach kind of location, yeah. and that's intercutting scenes of warfare. Yeah, and scenes of war. That's kind of a connection it's making and there. That, and that yeah. masculinity obviously came out in his artwork, and his artwork. I mean, I think you know the idea was at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that that gay men were um, there, there was even this rhetoric through the film where they, he talks about yellow is for sissies or mm. that's for sissies. So the idea of the sissy or the kind of really effete sort of overly feminised gay men, whereas this is Tom of Finland, his stuff was not, these are these were men, you know, there's no mistaking that these were men. And um, and and his stuff, same as you, um, Cerise, I, I saw a lot of his stuff through Tashin and this idea of, I do, <laughs> sounding like a perv now, but I do like Tashin's pornography series, the idea of artist pornography and how they present um, uh, different, they, they um, curatorially present different artists that have been accused of being pornographers as mm. as art. And Tom of Finland was someone who came up with that. And his stuff at the time, I mean, it just seems timeless. It it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem like when you when you presented in this film this early imagery before it went all um, you know San Francisco in the the sixties and that uh, was so glib and um, so uh, period drama, European period drama. And here he's creating these this imagery. It, it, it was it felt really shocking to see it. And they're also he's also the way he paint uh, he he uh, sketches with. Um, Almost like grey leads and so forth. He gets this really metallic, buffed quality to his his work. It actually looks metal. It looks hard surfaces. There's nothing soft about his stuff. And the men are the the muscles are just like you know so over exaggerated. And you know, of course, certain parts of the men are <laughs> very over exaggerated. <laughs> um, yeah, I just found and, and and so I didn't expect this to kind of go. I expected to be either in one era or the other. I didn't actually expect that sweeping biopic epic from this, but that's that's kind of what we got. So it was interesting to go from that, as you were saying, those um, traumatic war scenes and the intercutting with those, you know, really undercover gay beats to... Um, 70s sort of, San Fran, yeah, sort of disco. Yeah. hit over the end credits, you know. Not that I have a problem contrast. with that. I yeah. love, I love well, a bit of Sylvester. One really interesting <laughs> moment very early on, a very homosocial but notably not yeah. homosexual moment where bunch of fins are doing what fins will do and going out naked into the ice yes and and yeah. flopping about like seals yeah. and with a couple of interesting glances between tom and someone who turned out to be the captain yeah. uh, of his regiment but you just sense that okay there's certain sort of sanctioned behaviors and then other things yeah. are somehow just really let's face it totally arbitrarily off limit and that i, I find quite interesting that was established right at the outset of the film it was a good, I, bold opening yeah i i I ultimately found this film a little frustrating that it didn't go deeper and didn't sort of pull together more links. Um, so I wasn't mm. hugely familiar with the work. I was I was actually surprised that I was really familiar with that style. I'd seen that figure. I just assumed that was a, that was a school that's of how, art. I didn't realise it was all the one guy. Been. Well, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. But I would, and I would have loved to have seen more about, you know, what point did he kind of move from being a 
pornographer. Like he was originally drawing these pics to, to, to use as porn. More about how that then became more of a sort of rallying call for, for gay uh, activism and, 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 and pride. Um, more about where the, exactly the leather and the authoritarian thing did come from. I think there's hints, you know, there, there is hints of that. It's, it's from his experiences in the war. But just more about the cultural and political impacts. I yeah. just wanted more insight into why this why this blossomed the way it did within within gay culture. Um, what what was the stylistic influences that he was drawing upon? What was then the stylistic influence that, that he was contributing to? And the big thing that I found really jarring is for a film about somebody who was very, very sexual and yeah. created incredibly sexual content, it was a fairly chaste film. Yeah, it was. The only time I think we see a dick is as a gag, you know, the cocktail gag. Yes. We don't actually see any naked men during any of the sex scenes. Even the frolicking in the, the water, we don't see any no, dick. We don't. No, we <laughs> don't. And if there's a film to show dick, Damn this is the them. film. And yeah. it, it, look, it really felt weirdly absent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and especially oh. since it is a European film as well. I mean, well, um, well, it's very European because yeah. I noticed that it was a co-production between all of the Scandinavian nations and <laughs> Germany. So you, you expect something, don't you? Absolutely. Mm. It did have a different feel to the usual American biopic. I think that there's a certain. I, I, I'm not the greatest fan of biopics, so I did like the change of tone in this. I think Americans tend the American biopic tends to create this larger than life uh, character out of everyone. <laughs> That's not necessarily the case, just in the, the tone and the, the energy of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the same as you. I, I did, I, I get what you mean, Thomas. I did like, though, the way that there was kind of this just surprise explosion of his impact on America and that wasn't really explained. I liked the not non-explanation of that because it was kind of, it, it sort of bought into his confusion of it. Uh, see, I, yeah. that's what I was most interested in. Oh, really? The, 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 okay. the, his influence, why, what was the... Just why were these such politically charged drawings and how did that sort of blossom and spread the way it did in the US? Well, it sounds I mean, like there's something archetypal at play there and that the film, anytime anyone in a uniform in any capacity wandered by, yeah, my eyes were drawn to it. I mean, maybe that says something about me, but it also says something about how the eye... I think is uh, the filmmaker wants the eye to be trained to notice. Oh, these these yeah. people who actually fit these uniforms well are quite something. Yeah, and there's actually something very sexualized about uniforms, and perhaps that's always been the case. But it took the dissemination of that sort of imagery to make it so clear and for whole people to, to gravitate towards a look as clearly happened say in San Fran and then beyond and all the, the leather man culture came out of that. There's something very Greek god about it all that sort of masculine beardiness but very well groomed mm. yeah. I mean this this could have been 300 yeah. as a casting call for 300 I, I, I wanted to see though. more of the artwork yeah. I, 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 you know, the, the camera kind of passes over the artwork really quickly I just would have loved to have lingered more on the images because they're, they're really compelling powerful images Yeah, yeah. Well they are available in coffee table books <laughs> from uh, good bookstores very, near you. Very expensive yeah. coffee table yeah, books. I, I also have an internet connection, so I'm sure I could find this stuff. Um, I, I did appreciate towards the end, actually, mm. how they, when, when, when the AIDS era began, they, they looked at more his significance in that era too. That was really good stuff. Um, mm. Don't get me wrong, I still like this film a lot, and I'm yeah. really, really glad I saw it, because it filled in a, a huge, a huge gap in my knowledge. Yeah, 
Pheasant, hunt, pheasant hunting. Pheasant hunting. I like that. Yeah. That was uh, a term that w- people will become very familiar with after watching this. Oh, and there was the beautiful line at the start about the, the, the rabbit that's escaped because it was um, yeah, what, in the clo- it was, too horny and too hungry to stay in the that's closet. Right, and I that's thought, right. okay, this, this film gets a pass on that line alone. <laughs> <laughs> very, very we have cute. been discussing Tom of Finland here on Plato's Cave. You're listening to 3 Triple R. 3 Triple Ah. Gerard's Game was released on Netflix a few weeks ago and it's an adaptation of a 1992 suspense novel of the same name by Stephen King. It's about a woman who goes away for a romantic weekend with her husband to rekindle their marriage, but after she allows him to handcuff her to the bed, uh, it's consensual handcuffing to the bed, uh, she becomes stuck there when he suddenly dies from a heart attack. Trapped on the bed, she must not only find a way to escape but also attempt to stay sane while coping with shock, fear and repressed memories coming back to haunt her. Gerard's Game is directed by Mike Flanagan, who's probably best known for recent horror films such as Ouija, Origin of Evil, Hush and Oculus. And I know you're a fan, Emma. I am a fan. I think Mike Flanagan, Flanagan, Mike Flanagan is one of the the stronger horror directors around at the moment. Um, He's he's not someone who pushes boundaries, but he's um, a really solid, tight horror storyteller. He, this is the kind of film that I expect to see on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. You know how we sometimes yeah. bemoan, why has this film gone direct to Netflix? It really should be seen in the big cinema with an audience. This is exactly the kind of thing that I think is really good for a streaming platform to watch at home. This one, because it's so, it's small. Yep. Sometimes he's, I, I do think that Mike Flanagan um, has, and I've seen a horror imagery from him that is genuinely really quite scary. And I think horror imagery always looks great on the big sc- screen. And in a scary, enforced, darkened environment. It's no better a place to watch a horror movie, really. But um, I do love that In it's sort of like um, Netflix, these home streaming uh, services are taking over from the old um, all-night movie marathons of the, the old TV days, like the Deadly Earnests of the 70s and all that sort of thing, or 70s or 60s, I think Deadly Earnest was. I wasn't around, just so you know, guys. But, um, yeah, so it's kind of... I do like that. Rom- There's a romanticism to horror being on Netflix. I, I don't. I think it's a throwback for me to thinking of that sort of you know that that old teen consumption of horror movies as as many as you can. Um, they're all there. You can just keep on watching them. <laughs> but but th- this yeah. one's. I think it's. It is more of a thriller, I think, than a horror. Yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. I would say that. There's one particularly gruesome yeah. scene towards the end, and Did there are you... scares in there, but otherwise, yeah, it's not what I think of when I think of horror. This is a, a lot of people have different, I think, definitions of horror, and I, I don't know about you guys, but often people will say to me if if we're talking about a horror movie or re- referring to one, they will say, "Was it scary?" That's the first question people ask. Is it scary? Well, Did it came, scare this you? This came up with it, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I find that you know I don't know a bit with me. I find things like A Handmaid's Tale and or Todd Haynes's Safe scarier than most horror movies mm-hmm. as such. But um, this is 
uh, the 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 scene, the opening scene. I wasn't sure whether to mention that heart attack, but I'm glad you did because it's 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 front and center when yeah, people describe what this film's about. It yeah. is a bit hard not yeah. to. Otherwise, there's not much to talk that, about. That's she the can't, point. Yeah, she's handcuffed to a bed for the film. Yeah. So how it's isolated. She's no yeah. one's expected there. How is she going to survive or not? Um, I found that handcuffing scene right from before he died, even before he died, to be one of the more anxiety-inducing experiences I've definitely had this year. It was very tense. It was very uncomfortable. There was something about feeling stuck. And I mean, in horror movies, people are often stuck, whether that's in a closet or in a, you know, metaphorically stuck or whatever. But for some reason, this really heightened my anxiety. Well, the whole whole setup builds on this idea that it's a relationship that isn't going that well and even yeah as we see them kind of doing this role play he wants to introduce the spice up the marriage it becomes very clear he's driving this and she's going through a little bit reluctantly and a little bit because she feels she has to do this to please him and this is a dynamic that that gets explored yeah. later in the film so there is an unequal power play and, and I, I think, think she's where never... the film's the most interesting it looks at this idea that for a, for a a long, long time, and it's gone unspoken. He has dominated her in in various various ways, and she's been, for whatever reason, unable to speak up. Yeah, I think maybe that that sense also that comes from that that she was never safe right from the start. There's never this sense of safety, mm. and you know, even if people are playing playing little kinky sexual games, you know, there's the ideas that there's a safety net there, and well, she's a safe word. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and you never feel that she actually has that safety net, even when. The they start playing their game. Mm. And I did think with the setup, I thought, oh, God, this could be... And then it's it's like her... her, her psycho, she psychologically speaks or her demons speak to her. How can I say yep. I'm, I can't, I can't well, say Well, we, we don't want to give away exactly how that works. No, but, but there's, yeah. there's a... There's, it, comes, it starts in on that and I thought, okay, all right, this is... Is this going to be the whole film? This is going to probably be too much because I knew it was, you know, not a short film. It goes for an hour. 45 minutes but then it does go into uh, it works in different narrative tricks which I thought were really quite um, really quite effective actually until the end the last 15-20 minutes it's not good is it no I I looked it up and I think they literally followed what happens in in the novel and it's it's really unfortunate and it's a whole aspect that you could have easily cut out Absolutely. And the film probably would have been the stronger for it. And the original story would have been the stronger for it as well. Mm. The only It's interesting. I, I haven't ever been that into Stephen King, but I've been reading a bit about him. And I did read It recently, a massive novel. And Congratulations. I got through it. Thank you. <laughs> Marathon. Um, I am. King does seem to have this obsession with this idea that women who've experienced trauma or abuse then look as, as, as children then look for it as adults. Mm. And this theme pops up over and over over again and I think he's trying to make some kind of a statement I think he's he's trying to do the right thing but I think he gets it horribly wrong and it verges on victim blaming this idea that there are certain women who because of what's happened to them when they're younger they seek out further abuse later in life mm. and it leaves a really horrible taste in my mouth I, I don't quite like the psychological impulses he gives to his female characters even when he's trying to make them strong interesting characters oh, yeah. he, tries he gets to make it wrong her, a lot I think he tries to make her empowered in that totally disempowered Sense, yeah, but uh, and uh, yeah, but no, 
it just it, it, and also oversimplifies everything. There were there yes. were a number of points um, fifteen minutes in before the end where there were so many not just natural ends but so many options for ends, so many different things that could have been done. So. I don't know whether they, as filmmakers, because Michael Flanagan does sometimes write his own work, and I don't think he did. He write the screenplay of this or co-wrote. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure, but um, there may have been. I don't know uh, forces at play that meant that they had to stick much closer to the actual novel. I believe it's very faithful. Look, I think it's a, it's a fantastic first half, a yeah. disappointing second half, and the ending is pretty lame. But yeah. um, but, but it's worthwhile seeing. Overall, I'm glad I watched it. It's certainly entertaining, even though. A lot of it was, to use the capital P word, problematic. Problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike Flanagan's um, wife was in there. She plays uh, Henry Thomas's uh, wife in it. Uh, and, oh, that's Henry and Henry Thomas. Thomas was in there. E.T. Elliot from E.T. Of course, e. yeah. yeah. And he's been in other Mike Flanagan films as well. He's very creepy. He's very good. Yeah, mm. creepy for sure. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick that. Tonight on Plato's Cave, we've been discussing Blue. That's on limited release courtesy of Transmission Films. We looked at Tom of Finland. That's screening at Cinema Nova courtesy of Palace Films. And Gerard's Game is available on Netflix. You have been listening to Thomas Caldwell, Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.